Hey everybody, this is Steli, and today's recording is special. Number one, it is much longer than usual. It's around an hour-long conversation exploring the idea of peacetime CEO versus wartime CEO and what you need to know about it. But it's also special because it comes at a special time. Um, we are entering a shift in times, especially economically speaking, and any and every company right now and in the coming months is probably under a constant threat of death, of not being able to survive economically. So I will cover the most common mistakes that I see peacetime CEOs commit and why it's killing startups during wartime. And you'll learn what the two crucial shifts are in your mindset that will help you thrive, survive during a crisis like this. So without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation. So today I want to talk about being a wartime CEO. The, the, this concept I think first came up, um, first at least was popularized by Ben Horowitz in his, you know, amazing book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, probably a read that is highly recommended during these times. Um, I actually have this on my list of books that I want to revisit. I read it many years ago whenever, whenever it came out and I really enjoyed it, but I haven't read it since. And I feel like there might be some golden nuggets in there um, during this, this crazy time we're going through right now. But he, in the book, he introduces the reader to this concept of peacetime CEO versus wartime CEO. And I'm going to oversimplify this, but in a simple way, He's describing that being a peacetime CEO means being the CEO of a business that is prosperous, that is going through natural growth and going through the momentum of success. And now it's basically, it's time as a, as a, as a great peacetime CEO, you're managing that prosperity. You're stimulating it to go even further. You invest in creativity, you invest in expansion, you um, investing culture, you are investing into the future, uh, you're, you're managing this good, these good times, right? Uh, as well as possible to get even more good things coming out of them. And then there's the wartime CEO. And, you know, a wartime CEO means that you in your, your business is under attack and you are under attack in some life-threatening way for the business life-threatening. And that could be because a competitor is attacking you in some really threatening way. It could be because the industry is some kind of turmoil and collapsing or some new industry is attacking your industry in some kind of a life-threatening way for your business and the survival of your business. Or it could mean that the entire economy is in some kind of a war that swaps your business into it as well and puts your business under this life or death threat. And as a wartime CEO, again, summarizing this based on memory, I have to reread the books uh, uh, soon, but in general, he, he basically a, a wartime CEO is acting very differently from a peacetime CEO. And as a wartime CEO, it's all about being ruthless and focus and acting with intense urgency. And it's all about you know, exact execution and it's about intensity and it's about making this split second life or death decision. And it's, it's about less about creativity, but it's all, uh, more about 
having your team and your company act like a, a military unit where you set parameters and, and decisions and directions and people execute on those perfectly. You cannot afford to have everybody do their own thing and you know, uh, try to get consensus. It needs like super lean chain of command and, and following commands. And it's all about being hyper um, paranoid and about eliminating threats and about being aggressive. Um, and sometimes about, you know, crossing, uh, crossing lines that you wouldn't usually because it's about survival. It's a very different energy. It's a very different kind of time to operate in a business. And in the book, he describes how some people are natural peacetime CEOs and sometimes some people are natural wartime CEOs. And that is very rare that a CEO can be good at both, that they can switch between acting like a peacetime CEO and switching to being a wartime CEO. And he brings up good examples and, and talks about this concept a little bit more. The reason why I wanted why I've been thinking about this, let's say recently more, is because the, 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 the world, the business world for sure is in a wartime now and is entering the beginning probably of a wartime because we are most likely going to see incredibly hard economic times on a global scale most likely and at a scale potentially that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. And so businesses are threatened more so than they've ever been before. And throughout the bank, like, I mean, there's obviously the, the, there's a, a first line of businesses that are being attacked. You know, any restaurants, bars having to close, tourism, uh, any, any business in tourism, any airline companies, these companies are all, almost shut down and their life or death threat is the most immediate, right? They're already in a life and death situation. And then there's many, many other industries and many, many other types of companies that might enter that stage in a couple of months, in a year, in two years from now. But all businesses are in a kind of wartime, uh, under wartime conditions. And what I remembered recently was when I first read this book, a friend of mine who was working for me had also read the book, Quran, you know him. And you, you, Ramin, you know him well. And when he read the book, I remember when I read the book, this peacetime wartime thing, it made sense to me, but I read it with some level of, like I didn't care about that part that much and I didn't think about it too much. And then I remember my friend Quran reading the book and one day asking me, hey, Sally, what do you think you are, a peacetime CEO or a wartime CEO? And I remember struggling with that question. I thought about it and I was like, I don't know, it's difficult. I'm not a wartime CEO. And here's why I believe back then that I wasn't a wartime CEO. I was like, I'm not, I don't enjoy to focus on a competitor and trying to kill them. Like there's a lot of CEOs that, find a an enemy and then they rally their troops around that enemy it's like the coke pepsi famous rivalry rivalry or it's the whatever the the google microsoft or whatever it's these like famous rivalries where two companies are going to war with each oracle sap 
they go to war against each other and these CEOs are so competitive. They always want to kill the competition. And when I thought about wartime CEO back then, I thought about that and I was like, that's not me. I really don't want to kill another company. I don't care about thinking about another company. I'm, I'm not that competitive. In a, in a weird I, I remember way. when I joined Close and mm -hmm. I kind of did some research and then asked you about competitors and you were like, yeah, you had some vague opinions, but you also, I don't really care that much about it. What I care about is our customers. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. I'm also not that competitive. I'm insanely competitive with myself. Um, and I'm very, very driven, but I'm not that competitive against others. Like I'm not inspired to win against other people or other groups in any way possible. It's just not, it's just not that activating to me. So, so he asked me, Hey, what are you? Are you a peacetime CEO or wartime CEO? And I remember going, I don't know, probably not a wartime CEO. Am I a peacetime CEO? I'm not, I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't really know. Maybe I'm both. Maybe I'm somewhere in the middle of it. And he laughed and he said, dude, you're obviously a wartime CEO. What are you talking about? It's as clear as day. And I was like, how, well, why? He's like, well, listen, when things are going well, you're so-so as a CEO. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but when things are going really well, you're not that great. You're okay. But when things go to shit, when things fucking fall apart, you're amazing. It's like you do your best work. I've been the most inspired by you when things were the worst. He's like, it's clear to me, you're absolutely a wartime CEO. And I, and I, I was like, huh, all right, I'll think about it. And then I didn't think about it. Right. I was just like, whatever. Um, that's his opinion. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's true. I feel like you have this kind of thing where, um, if it reaches a point where you feel like if I don't step in now, if I don't intervene now, things are going to turn really bad. That's when something in you gets activated and you really like, brings out the best in you. Yes. Today, I completely agree. Today, if, if you ask me, Stelia, your peacetime CEO, wartime CEO, I'd be like wartime yeah. CEO, obviously. It's obvious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I got to, how would anybody ever think anything different? Right? It's like, but, and I don't know when along the way, like I haven't thought about this multiple times. I haven't had multiple conversations. I thought about wartime and peacetime CEO when the book came out many years ago. I mean, this must be six, seven years ago. I don't know when the book came out, but it's been a fucking minute. And I thought about it this week. And whatever happened about my own opinion of myself or my own self-image, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, no, I don't think I'm a wartime CEO. And today I'm like, it's obvious. It's clear. Mm -hmm. And I think I agree with you. It's, when there is crisis, when in my mind, in my eyes, in my spirit, when I think we're about to enter a crisis, something gets activated in me. And I am the most creative, the most decisive, and um, I'm, I'm the best version of myself in those moments. This sucks for obvious for many obvious reasons, you know, because when things are going, I mean, it, it's great for it. I, let me rephrase this. It sucks because I have not yet learned to be great at peace in peacetime. Right. Um, 
But it's great that I have this, that I can be a great wartime CEO, because I do like being the best version of myself. I do like when my spirit is fully activated, when my creativity is fully activated. I do like to feel useful and valuable, and I can be very useful in crisis. And because a lot of people that I care about rely to a certain extent or benefit to a large extent from me stepping in before crisis can happen and manage it in a way that we survive and thrive. So a lot of people I love and care about have benefited from that personality type that I am of from me being a great wartime CEO. So it's not that I don't like that I'm a great wartime CEO. It might fuck a little bit with my self-image and it definitely it makes me uh, really self-critical about why can I be this way in peacetime? But that's for a different time to ponder and to, to explore. I, I asked myself this week, if I wanted to teach somebody or share with somebody, what, how can I become a better wartime CEO? What would I even tell them? Now, I can't tell people activate your creative core. Like, I don't know, I don't know that that's helpful, right? I don't know what I do. And some of the things that I do are very subconscious and very intuitive. And I don't know how to put them in words. Some things have bubbled to my awareness, to the level of my awareness where I could explain them to others. And there's mainly, I thought about this a little bit, and there were like mainly two things that I, um, I think I could talk about in a way that could be useful or explore in a way that's useful. So I think that when you are going through a wartime type situation in your business, you need to understand that it is probably a very different mode of operating than usual and everything is heightened, which means the decisions you make have much more consequence to them. And so you cannot operate as always, as you usually do. I think that a lot of people, when they go into these crisis situations, there's a natural instinct to try to get back to order or get back to peacetime model of operating because they feel very uncomfortable, very threatened in the crisis. But if you think about it in, in very stark terms, if, you know, I, if I live in a village that is super harmonious and peaceful and you know, everybody is very neighborly with each other and we all have enough resources and wealth and we all have shared common beliefs and, and culture and values and we share each other's lives and we are like a great little vibrant ecosystem uh, you know, my, the doors are always unlocked. There's no fences because we, we, we trust each other. We love each other. Nobody has any, any need for weapons or violence. There's no police because there's no crime. And we live a really happy life. And then for whatever reason, some transformation happens. And now half the village is really angry about the other half. And it escalates to the point of crisis where people want to kill each other and feel threatened by each other. If my mode of operating is, well, I don't like this anymore. Um, 
I don't want the world to be a bad place. I don't want to have to be exposed to violence. How can I live as if nothing is happening? Or how can I hold on to this beautiful utopia that I was living in beforehand? I'm probably going to be one of the first people to die, right? Because I still keep my doors open. There's no fences. I have no weapons. I walk around as if everything is good. While half the village now is harmed, like is, is heavily armed, has put on defenses, locking up everything. And whenever they see somebody from the, you know, quote unquote, from the enemy territory of the village, they shoot. So I am dead. I cannot try to, um, I cannot try to hold on to the past because I was happier in it. I have to realize that the conditions have changed drastically and I need to adapt with a drastically different mindset in order to survive and later thrive. And it's not up to me to say if I like it or not. Liking it doesn't matter. It's not up to me to say if I agree with this or not. If you're in the middle of war, it doesn't matter if you agree politically with that war or not. It doesn't matter if you agree with it or not. There is a person and a weapon pointed in your direction, in the direction of your children and your, your family. And you have to act in some way to ensure the survival of you and your loved ones in the best way you can. And I'm not saying that you should become the most violent person that goes and shoots other people's families and kids if you don't want that, but you have to learn how to protect yourself. You have to learn how to navigate. You're probably going to have to do things you don't want to do, don't feel like doing during that time to ensure survival and then eventually hopefully thriving again. Just the way this works. So I think one of the biggest pains that is created when you move from you know, wartime to peacetime is um, not accepting that the world has changed and that you're not, or that the phase in which your company was operating in has drastically changed and you're now in a wartime type situation. If you fully accept it, if you fully accept that now you're in a very different environment, no matter if you like it or not, no matter if it's your doing or not, you have to deal with it. There are two things that will probably benefit you. And there are things that I do that I think help. One is realizing that time is so much more of the essence during wartime than it is in peacetime. And that you have to operate with more focus and more urgency than ever before. You cannot keep the same rhythm of prosperous life during the heightened intensity of war. During war, war, you need to act with urgency. You have less time. Time is more deadly. Wasting it is more dangerous. So you need to speed up your actions and your decision-making. You need to speed up the intensity in which you apply your energy, your focus, and your time. And that's something I see a lot of people miss. They maybe verbally accept, yeah, we're going through really hard times. This is a very difficult or threatening time. Our company is going through, quote unquote, a wartime now. But they want to keep the familiar and comfortable pace of timing. Like they want to have 
their team meetings happen the same way at the same time for the same length. They want to make decisions like they always made decisions, ponder them for a couple of weeks, have a number of discussions, read up on it, talk to advisors, look at the data, analyze, and then make a decision. Maybe that takes you typically two to three months. And that's the comfortable pace that you would want to make big decisions during peacetime. But now that you're in wartime, you don't have three months to fucking make decisions. You don't have weeks and weeks of pondering, analyzing, advising, uh, thinking through, going back and forth, and then finally arriving at something, building consensus maybe. You don't have that fucking time. You know, big decisions that would take you three months to make, in wartime you might have to make during a day or two days. And it will feel incredibly uncomfortable, obviously. But CEOs that want to keep their normal decision-making pace during wartime will die, right? They, or at least they will be ineffective and they will create destruction, economic destruction in their business, right? The same thing with actions. If you typically like to work at a certain pace to accomplish certain goals during wartime when it's life or death, it would be a different pace. Think about the difference between you know, having some, some weird sensation maybe in your leg for, you know, and, and like maybe your leg is a, it feels a, a slight pain and you're like, oh, maybe it's going to go away. And it's like been a week and it's not going away. And you're like a whole week, seven days of feeling this pain. This is weird. And then you try a couple of things at home. Like, uh, you know, maybe you go to a massage, maybe you whatever, put ice on it. And another week passes and you're like, I still feel that fucking pain. What's going on with my leg? And then eventually you might, you know, the third week, maybe you go, you know what, maybe I need to make an appointment with the doctor. But there's no urgency, like it's pain, but it's not that big of a pain. You can deal, manage with it. And then you set an appointment for like in, in a week and a half, have an appointment with the doctor and if it's still not gone, then let's have a doctor look at it. That's totally normal. This is peacetime, you know, but imagine uh, there's some accident and your leg gets cut open in half and you're bleeding massively. Would you act with the same kind of timeline? Well, let's wait, ignore this for a week and see what happens. And then let's do some, some small things at home, maybe put some ice on it, maybe, you know, I don't know, sleep more. And then the third week, maybe we'll make an appointment. No, you would fucking race to a, to a hospital as quickly as possible. And you would think that every second matters. Right? If I, if I did the same pacing during normal times, hey, I have a very slight weird pain. And you would, you know, call 911 and want an ambulance to rush you to the hospital, people would be upset with you. They would be like, you're crazy. Just like if you applied wartime CO timelines during peacetime, your team would think you're insane. But during wartime, you have to switch up your timeline. You have to act with incredible urgency and you have to act much faster than you typically do. That's the first thing that I see CEOs not adapting to. They go through a wartime. I see this today all the time. Like I was talking to friends two weeks ago that are trying to sell their company and they're talking to a potential acquirer and they're negotiating and planning for negotiation as if they have all the time in the world. And I was asking them, hey, 
if you could just take the deal that's on the table, although it has a, a, a small a number of details you don't like, but if you just took the deal that's on the table right now, would it be better than not getting the deal done? And they, they said, yeah, of course, this deal, although it's not everything we want, is much better than getting no deal done. Like, all right, then maybe you want to consider just taking the deal as is right now. Because as we're moving into this pandemic widening and this panic increasing, maybe there's no deal on the table in a week or in two weeks. Maybe you want to act with more urgency because it's not normal times. And they resisted that thought. And maybe they'll get lucky and they'll, they'll get the deal done regardless. But it's not because they're acting, in my mind, with the right framework. When you're in this kind of an environment, you cannot negotiate on details as if companies are going to keep purchasing other businesses and have money and decision-making power in coming weeks as much as they do today. You have to assume that acquisitions will dry down. Companies will hit the hard pause or stop button on any expenses they have. And so your deal that seems easy to get today might be impossible to get tomorrow. But people don't want to change their timelines. They don't want to change the way they make decisions or the way they manage their time. They don't want to ratchet up the sense of urgency. They feel like, well, that will create panic in my team. If I now push them to make a decision the next hour, why do we have to make a decision in the next hour? That's going to create panic. Why can't we think about things and, and collect more data and analyze and ask a bunch of advisors and have a couple of meetings about this? Isn't this the safer way to make the perfect decision? And the answer is yes, during peacetime, but during wartime, it is the more dangerous way to make decisions. The other thing I'll say, so the, the first tip or the first thing that I notice in myself during crisis is that I act with a lot more urgency than I usually do and that I am a lot more time sensitive and that my timelines adjust radically more than most other people that I interact with. So the first response I start getting during wartime situations is that people go, why is he, why is, why do we have to act this fast? So there's a little bit of resistance to it, but eventually they adapt and then they see the positive results of acting with urgency during a kind of a wartime crisis situation. Timing, you have to act faster. The other thing that I think helps me in being good as a wartime CEO is the, my way of dealing with pain. Now, uh, pain meaning more emotional pain, right? We're, we're talking about wartime in the business context, but we have to realize it's not life or death. I mean, it can be life or death if we all lose our jobs, if we all can make an income and we can buy food and shelter for ourselves and our loved ones. Of course, eventually economic um, risks can translate into life and death. But in most sense, when I talk about business dying or living, it's not life or death as, as if it was an actual war. It's not. It's just a metaphor. But and when I talk about pain, I'm not speaking about physical pain, being shot at, being, being hit, being injured. I'm talking about emotional distress and emotional and mental pain. And I think that what that means is trying to, like most, most people want to avoid making very unpopular decisions 
most people want to avoid being wrong. And so during a crisis, trying to avoid making any kind of mistake and trying to avoid saying or doing something that will not be popular by everybody is a recipe for disaster. Because during a crisis, you're going to have to make decisions that are going to be very hard and unpopular. And you might be wrong at times because you have imperfect information and you have to act swiftly. And if you're not comfortable with potentially making some mistakes and definitely making decisions that people will disagree with or not like, if you don't, if you want to avoid these things during a crisis, you're fucked. You are fucked. You know, there's no chance for you to be an effective leader during a massive crisis, being an effective wartime CEO. If your prime internal compass is how do I avoid unpopular decisions and how do I avoid being wrong about anything that I decide right now. If that's your moral compass, if that's your decision-making compass, it's going to direct you, directly lead you to enemy territory and certain death. Like you just, it just will. You have to accept that during wartime, you have no time and a lot of pain. This is what it's gonna be. You're gonna have no time to rest and you're gonna have a lot of threats and probably a lot of pain to deal with. And that's gonna be, be the package to survival. There's just no way of avoiding that. And I think that I am naturally good at the dealing or realizing instinctively these two things. When there's a crisis, I know I don't have time. We don't have time. So I act with a quickly scaled up sense for urgency. And I understand that this is going to be painful and I don't run away from that pain and I don't try to minimize the pain. My goal is not to minimize the pain. My goal is survival, surviving and thriving through this crisis. My goal is not avoiding pain. And so I'm okay in, in, at peace with making unpopular decisions and also being wrong about the decisions I make. And if I recognize and realize that I'm wrong, I will correct and adjust the game plan while we're in battle. If you're making this, if you're the general in a battle, you, can, you have to make life or death decisions every day, every single hour, and some of these decisions will be wrong. No general, no matter how great they were, has made, had had a perfect record where everything they decided and every battle they went into and everything they did was always right. Most of them made dramatic errors, had you know, went down the completely wrong path at some point or were surprised by some tactical strategy that their adversary has put in place. But what made them great was that they were able to adjust better and faster during battle and during that wartime than their enemies and eventually they were able to be victorious. And so I am okay with being unpopular and I'm okay with being wrong but I'm not okay with wasting time. And I think that that is a combination of things that I'm aware of that I do when there's a crisis that help. And that's why 
you know, I, I mean, I've never gone through a time like this. I don't know if I'm going to be fine in my our business and my family and my loved ones are going to be fine. It's too early to tell. We'll know, I don't know, when in a couple of months, in a couple of years, a decade, it's not, it's not clear yet what the timeline is and when we're going to be able to look back and really analyze my performance right now. Uh, it's still to be determined. But in the past, when I look at all the situations when the business, when my businesses or this business was in a life or death situation, not able to secure funding or running out of money or having a business model that was broke or having like any kind of situation where things were really, really, really bad. Um, in many of those situations, I've been able to lead a team to survival and to thriving and being victorious out of that crisis. And if I had to ask myself or if I had to explain to somebody why it will be these two things, I act with urgency, I make unpopular decisions fast, and then I adjust and correct if I'm wrong along the way. But I'm not afraid of pain. I'm not afraid of being unpopular wrong. But I am terrified of wasting any minute any day, any hour. So I act with insane urgency. I act with a sense of urgency that feels insane and would feel insane under normal circumstances. And I feel like this is the time where people have, like everybody, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a business or if you are, you know, quote unquote, the CEO of your family or your friends or your loved ones or just yourself. This is going to be, this is wartime now. And you ha have to act with more urgency, more focus. You have to be okay with being wrong and doing unpopular things or deciding or, or claiming things that many people might not be in agreement with right now in order to make sure that you're going to be, you and the people you're responsible for, are going to be in a good place and are going to be able to navigate this environment, this crisis we're all going through. And if you try to look away from what's going on right now, if you try to do what I was referring to earlier of like thinking, well, it was nicer when it was peacetime. And so I'm just going to pretend this wartime is not going to be around for long or I can just act as if it's peacetime and surely then I can keep doing the same things and generating the same results. You're going to be in a, in a world of, of consequences and pain that are much larger than opening your eyes and mind to what we're about to head into, preparing for it, and then executing through this time in a different mode. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's the, that's the advice that I give to my friends, to my family. And that's the advice that I would give you if you're listening to this. Read, read the hard thing about hard things. Write down how you're going to adjust and change during these times and act with more urgency and accept maybe a high level of emotional pain during this time and how you're going to learn how to be a good wartime CEO, because I suspect we're all going to have to 
to be great wartime zeros during the next couple of months and years potentially. And if we're good at that, I also believe that peacetimes are going to be sooner to be come back. I, I know that probably everything that I've said so far sounds so grim, you know, and so pessimistic. But I believe that if we all were amazing crisis managed, if we're all we're better at managing crisis on a personal level, on a family level, on an individual level, on a team-wide level, on a company level, on a country level, if, if just every single person is stepping up to manage this crisis better, we're going to get out of the crisis better and faster. And so this is really, uh, in a weird way, an optimistic uh, call to action. And as always, for anybody that is listening to me, um, if you have questions, if you have disagreements, if you have ideas or thoughts, if you're a good friend of mine listening to this and you're like, this is all bullshit, this is what makes you a great wartime CEO, Steli. I, I want to know. I don't know. I'm still figuring, trying to figure this out. Maybe you have something, Ramin. One thing I think that's like worth like, um, just restating is that this reaction that you often get, I've seen it right in the company, I've had it sometimes myself. It's like when you go into this crisis mode, it's like, Jesus, what is coming to Staley? Why, why is he so stressed out? Why is he putting so much pressure on everyone? Um, and then it creates a lot of action very fast. And then kind of like sometimes like three, four weeks later, everybody is like, people kind of get into a panic mode because they realize, oh my God, we're running out of time. But if there wouldn't have been that pressure in the first place, right? They, they would have, like, things would have gone much worse, right? So I think there's a, there's a great thing to say about, like, scaling up that urgency almost what seems like prematurely in most people's eyes um, so that it gives you more leeway and time to prepare. Um, yeah. Also, like, one thing that I, you know, when you talked about, like, time and urgency and this is like totally could be totally off right but it made me think of like you lost your dad really early um and i think you it's a lesson in the value of time and that it's limited that you cannot like somebody cannot get from thinking about it or logically uh, so maybe that also having gone through that is something that has built that so two things and first commenting on what you said earlier i think and this is the important message i think if your team doesn't think that you're acting too early and too extremely to the circumstance you are acting too late in a too small of a way and too slowly. Like the point is if in a crisis, if everybody understood perfectly when the right time is to act, we wouldn't need leadership. Everybody would just instinctively do exactly the right thing at exactly the right time, which would mean we would never be in a crisis. People, teams, countries, companies would never get into a crisis if everybody individually at the very perfect time acted with the exact perfect protective measurement to avoid the crisis. 
a crisis can only pop up because most of us have missed the point, missed the information or missed the action that would have helped us avoid it or circumvent it. And so somebody has to ring the bell to alarm all of us and push us into action. And so I think if your team is telling you, you know what, we do believe now is the time to do something about this. It's not, if it's a crisis, it's not a matter of pride. You shouldn't be thinking, huh, see, I have perfect agreement. Everybody agrees with me that we should do something right now. If everybody agrees with you, you should do something right now. You're doing something so late that nobody can ignore it anymore. And you've really failed. So you need to accept that people are going to be like, what the fuck is up with this person? Why does this person want to act this urgently, this soon with such drastic measures? People will always feel like it's too much and it's too early if it's in a crisis. And you have to be okay with it. And this is partially what I'm looking for. If everybody is like, yeah, we are all in perfect agreement. This is the right time to do something. I'm obviously very late. To respond to the other point, you know, it's interesting you, you bring up the, the death of my father and maybe that having an impact on, on that. Um, it's like at first, instinctively, I was like, no, I don't think so. But maybe not as directly. It was not like the death of my father has not made me realize. I don't know if it made me realize the value of time, and acting with urgency and all that. Maybe, maybe not. But I think the biggest lesson I got from that was that um, life isn't a... Life is not perfect. It's not just good things. And there is pain and suffering that's part of the experience. And so it caused me, even in an early age, I was six when it happened. I think immediately it started to make me um, contemplate death for everybody I loved. So all of a sudden I was thinking when my mom was 10 minutes late, I was thinking, did my mother have an accident? Is she alive? Is she okay? Like I started having these thoughts that I never had before, right? If you're a child and you live a, a happy childhood like I did up to that point, your parents are gods. Like they're invincible. They'll be around forever. And everybody you love is going to be around forever. And you don't know if you grew up the way I did where there is abundance of food and toys and travel and gaming and family and love. In my mind, you know, life was a pretty happy place. I didn't contemplate pain. And then when somebody you thought was a god dies, it makes you very aware of, you know, how um, nothing is granted and given forever and that there's pain in life and that you'll have to deal with it. And, and you, you have no control over these things. And I had to go through a bunch of other situations in life that were um, painful. And I had to, to be exposed to like sickness and death during a fairly young age, um, a bunch more. And I think what it did do is it gave me a realization that it's not all just good times. It doesn't mean that life is bad and everything is terrible. 
it just means that there are beautiful, amazing things in life and there's pain and suffering and you'll have to deal with both. And so when there's the threat of pain and suffering, maybe I take it a bit more real because I've been exposed to it and I expect it. And I think what I see, one thing that I, that is a working hypothesis that I have right now, when I look at the way that Europe and the U.S. has first responded to the pandemic versus Asia, for instance, and this is early, the story is still being written and I don't know where we're going to end up with, a, with, with which country acted in what way, good, bad, or whatever. It's too early, I think, to, to really make a conclusion. But my current initial interpretation of some of the events and decisions that have been made is that I have the sense that for nations and countries that have mostly, where the, where the collective memory is only one of mostly prosperity and that have never been attacked by massive disaster of, of any kind of really scale that touched everybody, I think there's a certain uh, ignorance to pain and to threat that makes people just not want to act up on it. They're like, there's no way there's going to be, this is going to be this difficult or this bad because they've never experienced something this difficult, this bad. They just expect, since the past has never, my personal past has never been like this, I don't believe that my personal future could ever be like this, right? I mean, there's countries, I cannot imagine being in war. I can't. It's almost unimaginable. If you told me this is going to cause a European war and, and there's going to be bombs and machine gun fire and drones over Germany or over New York, and it's going to happen in two years from now, it's almost unimaginable to me. I'm like, I can visualize it like in a movie, but I cannot accept it as a real threat that I'm going to, a real experience that I, that I should expect going through. Why? There's been millions of wars in Europe and in the year. Like, we're the, the world, the history of the world is a history of wars. Why can I, uh, can I believe it? Because I've not experienced it in my past, my personal past. Now, if you ask somebody in Israel to contemplate war, it's probably not going to be that difficult, right? Or in Iran or in Iraq or in other places around the world where people have gone through war, civil war. Could, I, could you imagine... Can I imagine a civil war in Germany or in the U.S. where Germans kill other Germans and there's a war internally in Germany? Impossible. Or in the U.S.? Impossible. I cannot imagine that. But there have been many civil wars in the world in my lifetime, in Africa, all kinds of civil wars and atrocities. In my lifetime, even in Europe, Yugoslavia, like Serbia, Croatia, um, you know, Bosnia, all these places were Yugoslavia in my lifetime when I was a teenager, and I went through a civil war. Why is it unimaginable to me? Because it, it has not been part of my personal past and experience. I have not experienced it in my past. Hence, I think it's impossible for me to experience it in the future, right? Or maybe I can contemplate it as like a theoretical thing, but not as a real threat. If you told me this is gonna happen within the next year, I would, if you gave me facts that would point into a theory that there's going to be whatever, a civil war in Germany, every fiber of my being would try to fight that theory. 
because I wouldn't want to believe it because I, I would be like, I can't, I can't believe that this is going to happen. There's no way this is going to happen. And this is what I see with so many entrepreneurs and, and business owners right now. Like I talk to them and they tell me, oh, there's going to be a huge financial crisis. Huge. And I go, yeah, huge, right? Yeah. What are you doing about it? And many, if not most of them, they do nothing. Because they don't translate this huge financial crisis that they agree is probably going to happen. They don't translate that into how is this going to impact your business? I'm like, what, what happens if your business goes out of business? What do you do? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Well, let's say tomorrow that happened. What would you do? Like, oh, I don't want to. I don't know. They, don't, they basically are saying, I don't want to think about this. Well, if you don't want to think about it, it means you don't want to prepare. It means you're not doing anything to avoid this from happening. It means you are managing your life and your business as if it's peacetime. Although you know a war is coming and all you do is you kind of hope that what magically your business is not going to be affected by this or survive this somehow by luck. What are you doing? Nothing. What are you thinking? Nothing. This is what I observe. People are expecting the worst economic downturn of our lifetimes. And when I ask them, what are the drastic actions you are taking since you expect such a drastic economic downturn, they say nothing. Or when they tell me something, it's very little things, some small things they're doing. Oh, you know, I stopped it, you know, a $9 monthly subscription. Cost cutting. It's like they do the, the smallest things that are the least painful. But why? Probably because there's a disconnect because if they had gone through a situation like this and their family and their business and their financial lives had been ruined and destroyed, maybe they would take this threat more seriously because they have been exposed to threat. They've been exposed to pain and hardship in ways that were involuntary. Um, and so they take these things more seriously. Um, that's the only thing that I could imagine that, that, you know, I think that the death of my father and then the death of my grandparents that were all sick uh, with cancer and lived through the last um, four or five years of their lives with us as while I was a little child, I saw my grandmother and then my grandfather go through chemotherapy and I, I lose their hair and pain and vomiting and you know, and, and, and seeing my mother take care of them and taking care of them myself in a young age during that time, obviously it created an image in my mind that life can be really fucking tough. People can die. People can get sick. Bad things can happen. And it is not up to my positive thinking if that happens or not. It's not up to if I want these things to happen or not. Sometimes these things happen and I'll, when they happen, I need to deal with them and manage them. And so maybe I'm more accepting of threat and more activated to deal with it than somebody that has never experienced anything like that. Oh, well, even like if you think about like this, like my grandma, she used to like stockpile food and necessities mm -hmm. in the basement because yeah. she, she, when she grew up, it was like hard times. Right. Yeah. And, and like, my mom and me at the time were like kind of like, oh, this is kind of silly. You're living in different times, right? But 
yeah, it's kind of this this blueprint that you uh, that's based on your early experiences. Yeah, I mean, I remember my grandmother screaming at us that it's a sin to not eat all the food of the plate, right? She was like, the way she handled food and resources, um, the way she thought about life was comical to us as children, right? What is this crazy person that is like hoarding, uh, uh, but that's stealing butter from the airplane and like hoarding it mm. as if it's like gold. Well, it's mm. a person that has, as a child, experienced war and hunger, real hunger, not being able to eat when you're hungry. And it, so she looked at food, this is incredibly precious, scarce and valuable thing while I, we as children looked at it as like this abundant thing that's not very valuable and we can have as much of it as we want and throw away as much of it as we want and who gives a shit, right? And yeah, I mean, it's the personal experiences that we've that we gone through. This kind of reminds me of this, of this uh, saying of like, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a thing about immigrants where, where they say first-generation immigrants work hard Second generation immigrants don't work hard, but have seen hard work with their own eyes. And then third generation immigrants have never worked hard, have never seen hard work. Right? So, and, and, and that's typically that the third generation is the one that's fucking it up, right? Uh, it's because they, don't have, they have not developed enough character by either having to sacrifice and work really, really hard to overcome or have seen it so close up children with their parents that it has built their character um so maybe in a way a big part of the world or the most powerful parts of the world has not experienced hardship themselves and has not seen it close up enough so uh so we don't know how to react with real crisis uh, we shall see this is gonna unfold over uh, our lifetimes and uh one way or another, if we've over, we're overstating what's going to happen or understating it, or if we're exactly right, either way, this is going to be, this is a big event that's going to influence a lot of things moving forward. Um, I suggest to people to switch their mindset from a peacetime mindset to a wartime mindset. And I know wartime is such a negative word. Maybe it's like a crisis mindset or a bad time mindset and act differently. And then when the truth and reality and the facts point that we're back to a peacetime, then by God, switch your mindset and the way you act and the timelines in which you act out. But don't be one of these many, many people that I talk to that just because they don't like the idea of a crisis, they don't like the idea of wartime, they don't like, personally, they just, I just don't like this. You pretend it's still peacetime, you still act like it. Um, I don't think that that's probably gonna serve you, your family, your loved ones, or your business well at all. All right, so this is the ending of the recording, and I realized this was not fun to listen to. Um, I cover some really serious stuff uh, in this recording and usually I want people that listen to me to feel better at the end and not worse. 
uh, and I realized I didn't accomplish this with this recording probably, right? Uh, I went a bit dark. But here's the thing. I want to push you into action. I want you to realize that you drastically need to switch gears if you haven't done that already. So please ask yourself, is how I plan to change in the coming weeks making me and the people I'm responsible for uncomfortable? Have I made some really tough choices and did these choices feel too early? If the answer is no, it's probably not enough. And if I can help you, I really want to help in any way I can. You know, if you want to put together a crisis game plan for the coming weeks and want my feedback on it, reach out to me. Send me an email to stellyfd at gmail.com. And until next time, stay safe.